Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. As we heard last week, the Lord is calling us to live it up. I mentioned at that time that oh, this vision makes me nervous, <laughs> but I never explained why. Well, the time has come, as the walrus said. So with Jesus calling us to focus more directly on himself rather than on our development and growth, as important as those are, we are moving into an arena of dangerous grace. So, why and how can grace be dangerous? That sounds ridiculous. What is dangerous grace? Well, I'm glad you asked. But before we get into it, I would really like to pray for myself and for what I want to to share this morning. I just have a sense that the Lord wants to break through, break open, change mindsets, and bring us into a greater degree of understanding of who we are in Christ, a greater freedom, and a greater reality of not only can this grace that I'm talking about be dangerous, but it can make us dangerous to the devil. When you share that kind of thing, when the Lord's trying to do that kind of thing, He needs to do it. So can I pray? Amazing God. As we stand and sit before you, as we are in your presence this morning, we are so conscious of you. And I am so conscious of the weight of the word that you want to impart to us. Holy Spirit, won't you guard our hearts and minds, but open us. Because, Lord, we realize that guarding usually feels like closing down. You want us to close us down to evil, but open us up to your goodness. So won't you do that this morning? What only you can do. Lord, we're not interested in being part of a holy club and getting our brains stuffed with great information about a great God, we want to meet with the eternal living Father. Only you can grant us that. So won't you open our hearts, our ears, our minds to you and close them to self, to fear, to all these other things that want to distract us. Almighty God, do what only you can do. Amen. So ask again, how can grace be dangerous? Well, can I take you on a journey? I want to look at a few scriptures, and I want to develop this truth, this reality, to help you understand how 
It can feel dangerous, especially uh, if you're in my position, by which I mean someone responsible for caring for other people, for their development and growth, for their spiritual health. Why Why is living it up dangerous? And why is that a dangerous grace? So to begin that journey, I want us to look at 2 Timothy. There's this scripture in 2 Timothy 2.6 that talks about, it uses a series of images, but uh, verse 6 talks about the hardworking farmer. Before there, he's used the image of a soldier. A soldier doesn't get involved in civilian matters. They're focused. Then he talks about an athlete. An athlete trains intensely, focused for one purpose, to win the race. And then he uses this this picture of the farmer, and he says, um, let me read it. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. In other words, the one who puts in the effort should enjoy the fruit of their labor. If it's a soldier, it's staying safe and winning the battle. If it's an athlete, it's competing and coming first. And if it's the farmer, it's enjoying the first fruits of the crop. And this is what we inherently understand about hard work. And it's not wrong, but it's not the whole story. So when we hear what the Lord spoke to us, like he did in the vision, living it up, Our natural tendency will be to say, well, that's okay for somebody else, or to say, cool, but I've got to work hard for it. And again, there is a truth in there. The danger in that, and this is not a grace danger, the danger is that we start seeing it as our right, our reward, dare I even say it, our spiritual salary. Because we see a, a corollary, a, a um, see, that's what happens when you use unusual words. You get stuck, you can't think what they mean. There is a, a, a link between the amount of effort I put in and the reward that I reap. After all, that's only fair, isn't it? Well, yes and No. Yes, because nothing we do for Christ is ever wasted or lost. And actually, it's a reward serving Christ is its own reward. It's a reward in itself. This is the promise that God gave from Abraham on. So let me, let me quote you from Abraham. Genesis 15.1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, so it was before he became Abraham. Have you noticed that? God changes his name, Abram or Avram to Avraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your very great reward. He reiterates it after the Exodus to the people and says, You love me, you are defined by who I am and the laws and the rules and the national identity that I've given you. 
but I am actually your ultimate reward. And then he repeats it again and again. We serve God for him. We think we serve God for the fruit of knowing him. And this is where we get distracted. So that's the yes. But there is, and what's my no? There is also a no. Because everything we receive, we receive by grace. Here's a, here's a, th- th- this contrast is picked up all over the place. So let me give you just one example. Romans 6 verse 23, which if you learned the so-called Romans road of what, is, what does it mean to come to know Jesus, you will know this scripture well. Romans 6 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a contrast between rages, wages, and the gift of God. Sin is a taskmaster. And we get not just consequences, but wages from serving sin. However, from serving God, we receive His good gifts. It's different. We think it's the same. We think it's a, I don't know, a spiritual law of physics, cause and effect. Hey, if I pray and fast this week, you have to bless me. That also works in paganism, but it doesn't work in the kingdom because it's all about Grace. We work for sin. The wages are a mindset that produces death. It's like we're alive but never living. The gift of God brings life and freedom and peace, but it can only be received as a gift. It is never our right. It's never our due. I'm not saying that working for a salary is bad, just in case you're hearing that and applying it. Not saying that working for a salary is bad, just seeing it and our employer as our provider rather than the Lord. I'm saying that what is bad is seeing the salary and our employer as our provider rather than the Lord. Wherever you receive a salary from, provision from, do you see it as the Lord's gracious gift to you? Or do you see it as your right? Well, I worked hard for this, and you probably did. So I'm not denying that. But if you see it as your right, you see that source as your provider. Whereas Deuteronomy 28, I think it is, is very clear that it says, it is the Lord who enables you to earn wealth. The skills you have, and you are a skillful bunch. 
are the gracious gift of God to you and through you. But I worked hard and I paid a fortune to get my degree, to get my qualification, to do this, and I've paid hard yards as an, as an apprentice and this and that and the other. Do you see it as your right? Because that's the attitude of right. Or do you see it as the gracious gift of God? I have the privilege of preaching this morning. That is an incredible privilege, and it's a gift. And I've worked incredibly hard to grow in this gift. I have put thousands, tens of thousands of hours into growing, growing this gift. I have worked hard. It is my right to be a good, skillful preacher. To be impactful and know how to stir people's hearts and wills and minds and emotions. Which I don't. If you do know how to do that, please come tell me afterwards. <laughs> but I've put tens of thousands of hours, and I really, I promise you, I am not exaggerating. Everything I have is the gift of God. If he doesn't show up like I prayed just now, if he doesn't inhabit what I believe he has uh, prepared me to prepare to share with you, then we, what have we got? We've got wages. Everything good is the gift of God. <laughs> Everything good is the gift of God. Unfortunately, the Lord is stickier than that tape. So I'm not saying that working for a salary is bad. Just seeing it, the salary, and or our employer as our provider rather than God isn't good. Entitlement is an enormous snare for us as believers. I am entitled. And modern culture, our modern culture, our South African culture, unfortunately tends to push us towards entitlement. I have a right. It's good that we have a Bill of Rights. Be why? Because it helps to us to identify who we are. But if all I'm doing is demanding my rights from someone else, I am not owning those things. I'm going to say more on that just now. We can't claim what God gives us as a gift, as a right. And that's why he makes that distinction in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. You are owed that. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are not owed that. You can only receive it because the gracious God is giving it to us. So it can't be claimed as a right. And this flays, flays in the face. It flies, oh dear. It flies in the face of other systems that we're familiar with, such as our salaries. Kaboom, it flies in the face of it. Oh, see, didn't think about it, got it right. But it does. What I'm telling you now is counterintuitive to almost everything else that you experience in life. And when we don't get what we think we deserve, 
our salaries, it can produce bitterness because our right is not being respected by God. And hopefully there was a little twinge of uncomfortableness in your heart as you heard me saying that. That's your conscience. Saying, what right do you have before God? Well, this is part of why we're looking at dangerous grace. Our rights are just not rooted in what we think they are. They're rooted in who we are and not what we do. If we're looking for rewards from what we do, a salary, then the only thing that works in the spiritual world is sin. And that's why many of us, I believe, live a life trying to tick boxes. Oh, I didn't fall into pornography today. Tick the box. Jesus, you owe me some grace. (laughs) Yeah, ridiculous, isn't it? I didn't swear at that taxi driver much as he deserved it. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't. Jesus is calling us to live it up. He's calling us to something, not away from something. I've said this before, and it's a, it's a truth that continues to impact me. If we spend our time doing the do's of the Bible, we wouldn't have any time to do the don'ts. And that's at the heart of living it up. Dangerous grace expects radical ownership. Dangerous grace expects radical ownership. So despite our conventional basis for confidence, i.e. competence, we think because we have skill, because we, we, we think because of those things, we have, we can have confidence. Well, when you come into the presence of God, what is the basis of your confidence? Are we competent in the presence of an eternal, almighty God from whom every good and blessed thing comes, who is the author of all our skills and our beauty and our magnificence and every good gift that we have? Well, if you take that seriously, your tendency might be to feel, well, I have no confidence in His presence. And yet, Hebrews tells us that God expects us to have confidence as we come into His presence. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace, God's throne of grace, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of needs. Hebrews 10.36. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Hebrews 10.19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, because of what God has done for us in Jesus, we do have a biblical basis for confidence. And the, 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 I was going to say the scripture, no. God himself expects us to exercise that confidence as we come into his presence. And we have that confidence so that we will 
come into his presence. So we need to learn to live it up in the kingdom by boldly coming into the presence of God. That's why grace is dangerous. We don't enter the presence of God lightly. He is almighty. Let me give you one quick illustration. John, the so-called beloved disciple. You know why he was called that? Because in the Gospel of John, which he wrote about himself, no, about Jesus, but he features in it, he describes his relationship with Jesus in incredibly intimate terms. At the Last Supper, he describes himself as lying on Jesus' chest. That's, that's awkwardly, comfortably, confidently close. And don't think, oh, well, that was a different culture. Well, I understand. It was awkwardly, confidently close even then. This is what he claims for himself. That same disciple who had that level of confidence, when he sees Jesus in Revelation 1, the same Jesus, but now risen and ascended and seated at the right hand of God, is so utterly terrified, he describes the experience as falling at his feet as if dead. That's not just, oh, let me get down on my knees. That's kaboom. I've got no strength, no energy, no confidence, no nothing. Notice what Jesus does. He lifts him up. It's a theme with the prophets when they are confronted with the overwhelming awesomeness of God that the Lord picks them up. Just like we talked about last week, that living it up is about looking up. It's about holding our chin high. Why? And that's where we're going. Why? But this is a dangerous grace. In this case, it's dangerous to our pride. It's dangerous to our wrong bases of confidence. And it's dangerous to our pride. God's grace is dangerous for our flesh. So there's a flip side to this, and that's the contempt of familiarity. In Luke 15, we read about the parable of the prodigal. I'm going to leave it there. There are two brothers in this, and obviously a father who's rather important to the son. We tend to focus, and I've actually heard this parable half-read more times than I care to remember. In other words, it's only read about the first son, the younger son, the son who goes off, uh, who wishes his father was dead so that he could get his inheritance, takes his inheritance, and then is exceedingly foolish with him, with it. Until eventually, verse 17 it says, until he came to his senses. And what was coming to his senses? He realized just how bad the reality of his situation was and how good it was to be a slave in his father's household. And says, well, there's a good chance that if I come humbly to my father, I can become a slave in my own father's household. But there was another brother. He had an elder brother who had never stopped working. 
By the time the, the younger brother gets home, it says, no, he's still working in the field, verse 25. And when he finally comes in from the field and he hears them living it up, because this son who is dead has come back, and even his father goes out, prepared to humiliate himself, to go out to his son to say, please come and join us, because this is the level of celebration here. He still says, no. He refuses, verse 28. The two parables before this are called the lost sheep and the lost coin, and I think that this one is better named the lost son. Because the three things, the three parables are saying the same thing. And of course, Jesus is talking to the Jews and especially the Pharisees, the religious ones. And he's telling them, there's an older brother, that's you guys, Pharisees. And there's a younger brother who's impetuous and crazy, but he did something. Even if it was extremely wasteful, he did something. And now you are refusing to be the son who owns everything. You're refusing to act like who you are. But this brother of yours who was dead, he's acting like the son that I thought I had completely would never see again. The older brother was blind to the ownership of his estate. We as believers, the danger, the danger of grace is we want to earn it. When we try to earn it, when we think about earning it, we're like the elder brother who doesn't realize that his inheritance is everything that he has. And he talks like he's a slave. He acts like he's a slave. Because in his heart, he fundamentally believes he is a slave and not a son. There's this scripture that still blows my mind that says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. That is at the heart of why the younger brother was able to receive the father's gifts. Not because he felt entitled to but because he recognized how bad he had been, how rotten he had been, how what an absolute failure he had been. And the father had forgiven him. He didn't say, okay, well, everything I still have, I'm going to divide half. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> he just received the father's forgiveness, and because of that, embraced his sonship, embraced being an heir. Whatever that meant, he knew that it was more than he deserved. He had embraced this, this thing of dangerous grace. So we've looked at this, this whole thing of being owed a salary as opposed to the gift of grace. And we've looked at how Jesus worked it out in a parable, saying to the Pharisees, the religious, watch out, 
because you can exclude yourself while I want to be inclusive. You exclude yourself, the Father says, while I want to include a big, the, the, the fullness of what we have, of what I have purposed for you. Living it up can save us from the graceless older brother, becoming the graceless older brother. And if you've been a believer for a while, you will know the challenge of giving up on grace, of sliding out of grace into a salary-based, we like to talk about a works-based faith. That's why Jesus tells the, the story of the man who hires workers at various stages during the day, and they expect to get different wages. Such a good parable to meditate on. Such a good, particularly if you've been a believer for 10, 20, 50 years. We serve Jesus for Jesus. Our rights are wrapped up in his justice. He will do what is right, but we don't deserve it. Just one more thing about, uh, about sons and servants. The elder brother says, I've been slaving for you all these years, and you never even gave me you know, a, a, a small goat to have a party, to live it up with my, with, with my uh, friends. Did he have the right? Yes, but he was a son. He didn't need to ask for that. It was already his. He, owned, he was an heir of all. The father even reaffirms that truth. You can be a son. Ladies, you can be a son. You can be a son and live like a slave. You can have a massive inheritance in the kingdom of God and live like a pauper. Live spiritually destitute. This is the danger of grace. It offends us because it doesn't come on our terms. It doesn't come by just being faithful. Now you know why I think it's dangerous. We value faithfulness. Just want to commend the, the serving teams who set up the, the hall for us, for the worship teams who come early and practice, for the sound guys, for the, all, of the, all of these amazing people who make our Sunday mornings happen transparently. Thank you. Your reward is not a salary. <laughs> Your reward is a gift of grace. And even for those who do get a salary, it's still a gift of grace. Why? We need to know that we are all sons and co-heirs with Christ. Dangerous grace. If you see your serving as pleasing God because of what you do, please stop. That's why it's dangerous. <laughs> Because we need practical things to happen for us to be able to not be distracted from coming into the presence of God.
Grace is dangerous because if we misunderstand it, we become passive and impotent. Or we squander, like the younger brother, we squander what God has done for us. In the parable, the father does not commend the son for how he lived. He redeems him because he came back. So my last point, and I'm going to try and uh, move through this quite quickly, is having done everything to stand, stand firm. Ephesians 6, verses 13 and 14 is what that says. But that principle remains true. So let me just read that scripture to you. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes to you, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with all these different parts of the armor of God. Well, I don't know about you, but I've heard many teachings on the various aspects of the armor of God. What I haven't had much teaching on is having done everything, having got your armor ready, having, having it nicely polished and, and well, and in good order, put it on and stand. You know why you put on armor? Because you're going to be attacked. And without armor, it's going to kill you. What I haven't heard a lot of teaching on is having done everything in order to be able to stand, stand. It's not, the theory is not good enough. Make sure you're right with Jesus. You've got your helmet of righteousness on. Make sure that truth is like your belt. It holds up your pants so you don't trip over your own lies. But having prepared all of that stuff, do it. Live that way. There is a move in here from the freedom that grace brings to us, the fact that it's given as a grace, and that the grace is the gift, and that the gift is the giver, from it being dangerous because it's so free and there are so few strings attached. When we embrace it on its own terms, we start becoming dangerous because of the grace. Having done everything to understand and embrace the grace of God and live it up biblically, not in a foreign land, meaning not in where God has called us to be, in dissipation and wild women and all these other things that that scripture talks about. But having embraced, we having done everything to stand, we become dangerous to the evil one because of the grace of God. So why is living it up so scary to me as a pastor? Because misunderstood, I've just given you a license to do whatever you want. Let's party. Yes, let's party. Jesus way. Let's live looking up. Let's receive that grace and become dangerous to the devil or dangerous for the kingdom of God rather than 
becoming dangerous <laughs> because we're not receiving the gift of grace from the one who gives it. We're looking at the grace rather than the giver of the grace. And let me tell you, God really knows how to live it up. So, dangerous grace is living radically free. Dangerous grace is living radically free. Focusing on what Christ has given. His gifts enable us to know Him more, to be more, to grow, to develop all these. But it's about Him, not the development. Focusing on what Christ has given. Not on rule-keeping or box-ticking. One of the greatest challenges, practically, in terms of living the Christian life, is trying to find some kind of metric for how am I doing. Can I tell you how you find out how you're doing? It's very simple. How am I doing, Lord? How am I doing, Lord? We love objective uh, standards and measures, and they, they have their use. But when they draw us away from asking the question, how am I doing, Lord? We're never getting the answer we need. I've told this story before, but I had to learn years ago, after I have had the privilege of preaching, trying to evaluate how am I doing, to ask this question, Lord, how am I doing? Because sometimes people loved what I shared. And then I would occasionally go to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, thank you. That was such, a, such an amazing preach. And I would feel the Lord say, Yeah, but I wanted you to mention that. I was like, Oh, okay. So fortunately, nothing in the kingdom, nothing given or done for Jesus is ever a waste of time. But when you evaluate, and sometimes I felt like, Lord, how did I manage to muck that up so badly? And I felt the Lord say, I was at work in people. And sometimes, unfortunately, I felt, Lord, I really blew that. And he says, yeah, that wasn't a goodie. Because he is real. And we are real. Living it up biblically, dangerous grace, is about being radically real, living radically free, focusing on what Christ has given, not on uh, ticking boxes, and taking a stand as a living son and heir. Remember we talked about confidence? That confidence is in knowing who I am. I don't want to talk right now about adoption, but the, the picture of adoption is amazing. We think of, we can think of adoption as being, becoming a second rate part of a family. Legally, it isn't. It is as if you had never been anything else. You know that if you, if you're adopted, you get a new birth certificate? That's how radical it is. You have a new birth certificate, a born-again certificate, if you've believed in Jesus. So why is it dangerous? 
because greasy grace doesn't stick. So it's dangerous to accept a form of grace that has no stickability. How do I know what's greasy and what's sticky? Sticky grace transforms. Greasy grace makes no difference. Also, there's this fear of licentiousness. Hey, grace enables me to do whatever I want, just like the younger brother. It's like a license to do what we want without reference to him. Sticky grace always points us to back to Jesus. It's even more dangerous. So the, the, the danger is worth it. The danger of falling into licentiousness is worth it. Why? Because when we recognize who we are, once we've done everything to stand, when we start standing, the danger that we pose to the, those who stand against the kingdom or the danger we pose for the kingdom is so much more potent than the fear of what we can fall into. I don't know if you've heard me say this before, but I believe that it's better to be a radical sinner than to be lukewarm. Living it up is a dangerous grace. Will you become dangerous to those around you? Or will you take your stand on the confidence as an heir and a son of God? And then your danger will be to those who oppose God. Your danger will be to the dominion of darkness. Your danger will look like loving the unlovable. Because God loved you first. So he knows what it's like to love the unlovable. Having done everything to stand, stand firm then. So can I ask us to stand? I want to lead us in a response to this. You know, you can hear a message like this be excited, challenged, touched, and it can still have no effect in your life. It's like shining your armor and keeping it on the shelf. Can I share with you that armor that's used, you can see that it's been used. It's got scuff marks. It doesn't shine quite as well. It's got the, uh, it's got the evidence of battle scars on it. Having done everything to stand, stand firm then. So that is my, my challenge to you. Having heard this thing of dangerous grace and living it up involves dangerous grace and presenting to you, is it going to be a grace that gives you freedom to do your own thing and so you become a danger to those around you? Or is it going to be a grace that is so radical for living all out for Jesus that you become dangerous to the enemies of God, spiritual and physical? Can I lead us in prayer? Only you can make that decision. If you're here and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
put that right now. As your heart's been stirred as I've spoken, and you're saying, I want to be part of this, this incredible thing that he's been talking about. You do that by confessing your sin and believing that Jesus is Lord. So that's where I want to start praying. If that's you, pray this with me. Jesus, I thank you for all that you did in living and dying on the cross and in your resurrection and ascension. I believe in you and I receive you now as my Savior and Lord. For those of us who've already prayed that prayer and you're realizing that sometimes your only dangerousness is to yourself. Make this decision to live radically for Jesus. Make it in your heart and ask him to work it out in your life. Lord Jesus, help us, Lord, to abandon mediocrity by embracing you on your terms radically. Lord, grant us the patience to wait for you to move and then the courage to move when we see you moving. We receive your dangerous grace because it it destroys our comfort zone. But we're more interested in you than what you give us. So we commit ourselves to you Amazing God, in Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.